And a good day to you, Hayden. Hope things are looking up in Savannah. Definitely a day to enjoy the outdoors with highs of 58 degrees. Just a heads up, though, it might get a bit cooler towards the evening. Perfect weather to catch up on the latest news. Let's dive in. First up, ceasefire talks in Gaza have hit a significant roadblock. Amidst new airstrikes and mounting casualties, Qatar voices challenges in negotiations, while Israel's prime minister criticizes Hamas for unrealistic demands. I'm Steve Onsker. And I'm Jonathan Martin. You're listening to The Daily Unit from PocketPod News. In tech news, the Biden administration is reportedly in talks to provide Intel Corp with over $10 billion in subsidies. This massive financial boost aims to enhance chip production and solidify the U.S.'s position in the global semiconductor market. And would you believe which company's stock skyrocketed by about 200,000% since 1994? Monster Beverage takes that crown thanks to strategic leadership and market positioning that turned an energy drink into a global phenomenon. From pressing international conflicts to groundbreaking business deals and stock market marvels, stay with us. We've got all the updates you need to start your day informed. This message is brought to you by PocketPod, revolutionizing the podcast experience with the power of generative AI. Say goodbye to one-size-fits-all podcasts and hello to content that listens to you, tailored to your interests, schedule, and style preferences. With PocketPod, every episode feels like it's made just for you, transforming how you experience podcasts. Ready for a personalized listening journey? Visit PocketPod.app today to join the waitlist. The situation in Gaza remains tense, with ceasefire negotiations hitting a stumbling block amidst escalating violence. Indeed, while international actors are pushing for peace, the reality on the ground reflects a different story. Airstrikes, humanitarian crises, and diplomatic efforts are all part of this complex puzzle. To help us understand the intricacies of these developments, PocketPod News World Affairs correspondent Rose Fletcher joins us. Rose, what can you tell us about the latest efforts to secure peace in the region? Well, Jonathan, the situation in Gaza remains tense and complex. Recent negotiations for a ceasefire have hit a snag, particularly on humanitarian aspects, despite Qatar's involvement and attempts to mediate between Israel and Hamas. The talks had shown some progress in recent weeks, but Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu has expressed scepticism about their continuation, especially regarding sending a delegation back to Cairo for further discussions. That does sound troubling. Can you delve a bit deeper into the military actions on the ground and Hamas's demands? Certainly. Israel has continued its military operations in Gaza, with new airstrikes targeting central areas, including a significant offensive in Rafah, aimed at what Netanyahu describes as achieving total victory against Hamas. These actions have tragically resulted in civilian casualties, including children. On the other side, Hamas is pushing for a permanent ceasefire, but also demands the release of Palestinian prisoners held by Israel, a point of contention that complicates negotiations. The civilian toll from this conflict is heartbreaking. How severe is the humanitarian crisis and displacement in Gaza? It's extremely severe, Jonathan. The conflict has led to the displacement of over 80% of Gaza's population and created an acute humanitarian crisis. With much of the population now concentrated in places like Rafa, there are significant concerns about access to basic necessities and safety from ongoing military operations. And what about international responses? Any progress on diplomatic fronts? 
International efforts have been ramped up, with figures like US President Biden urging Israel to prioritise reaching a ceasefire and Egypt voicing concerns about potential spillover effects from continued military actions. Diplomacy aims at de-escalating tensions while ensuring civilian protection amidst security measures along Gaza's border with Egypt. Speaking of aid distribution challenges? Yes, aid distribution faces significant hurdles due to security concerns from potential diversion by Hamas, which Israel has mentioned without specific evidence, to criminal gangs targeting aid convoys following Israeli strikes on police escorts. These issues severely hinder efforts to provide essential assistance to those affected by the conflict. And finally, could you comment on the impact this situation has had on hospitals and civilians? Absolutely devastating impacts here. Israeli troops' entry into Nasser Hospital in Khan Yunis disrupted medical services crucial for civilians caught in this crisis. Detaining suspected militants within such facilities not only raises ethical concerns, but also endangers lives by militarising spaces meant for care. This paints a grim picture of the ongoing hostilities between Israel and Hamas militants, but it's important we keep talking about these issues. Thanks for shedding light on these developments today. Thank you for having me discuss this critical situation. It's imperative we continue monitoring these developments closely. The tech world is buzzing with news about Intel Corp and a hefty financial boost from the Biden administration. Right. We're talking about negotiations to funnel more than $10 billion in subsidies to Intel. This is all part of the CHIPS Act funds aimed at supercharging semiconductor manufacturing right here in the U.S. But it's not just about throwing money at a problem. There are big plans for new chip factories across several states and even talks of creating the world's largest chip plant. However, there are hurdles like market conditions and delays in federal funding that could slow things down. And Intel isn't the only one in this race. Other giants like Taiwan Semiconductor, Manufacturing Co., Micron, and Samsung Electronics are also setting their sights on U.S. soil for new factories. To dive deeper into what this means for the tech industry and the challenges ahead, PocketPod News business correspondent Jared Holcomb joins us now. Jared, these negotiations between Intel and the Biden administration could mark a significant shift in how we approach semiconductor manufacturing, couldn't they? Absolutely, Jonathan. The negotiations signal a pivotal moment for the U.S. semiconductor industry. By potentially providing over $10 billion in subsidies to Intel Corp., the Biden administration is not just investing in a single company, but making a strategic investment in the nation's technological infrastructure and economic security. That's a hefty sum. Can you break down how these subsidies would work and why they're significant? Sure thing. The funding from the CHIPS Act program to Intel would include loans and direct grants aimed at reducing the financial burden of expanding semiconductor manufacturing capacities. This is significant because semiconductors are essential components in everything from smartphones to cars and even defense systems. By investing in chip manufacturing, the U.S. aims to reduce its dependence on foreign semiconductor production, which has become a critical vulnerability as shown by recent global chip shortages. Speaking of the CHIPS Act funds, how does this program fit into the broader efforts to strengthen domestic manufacturing capabilities? The CHIPS Act funds are part of a larger push by the U.S. government to reclaim a leadership position in semiconductor manufacturing, a sector where Asia currently dominates. 
Through subsidies for chip production and supply chain investments, the program seeks not only to bolster factory construction and output, but also enhance national security and supply chain resilience amidst geopolitical tensions and pandemic-induced disruptions. Now, regarding Intel's plans with this potential funding, what can you tell us about their investment strategy? Intel's blueprint for expansion is quite ambitious. They're planning considerable investments across several sites, including enhancements to existing facilities in Arizona and New Mexico, as well as establishing what could become the world's largest chip plant in Ohio. These plans underscore Intel's commitment to scaling up its production capabilities dramatically, a move that could significantly alter the landscape of global semiconductor manufacturing. But there have been some concerns about delays at these sites, particularly with the Ohio plant. What's causing these holdups? Yes, there's been considerable anxiety over potential delays at the Ohio site, slated for completion by 2026. These concerns stem primarily from two factors, market conditions and the pace of federal funding rollout. Semiconductor manufacturing is a capital-intensive industry. Thus, fluctuations in market demand can heavily influence investment decisions and timelines. Additionally, any sluggishness in dispersing federal funds could further slow down construction progress. It seems like Intel isn't alone in seeking government support for chip manufacturing expansion. That's correct. Other major players like Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Sepurs, Micron Technology Incans, and Samsung Electronics Coated IE are also embarking on building new chip factories within the U.S., with many applying for CHIPS Act funding as well. Their participation signifies a growing trend where leading tech companies globally are looking towards America as fertile ground for semiconductor production expansion supported by governmental incentives. As we wrap up our discussion today, what do these developments mean for America's position in the global tech landscape? Well, Jonathan, if successful, these negotiations between Intel and the Biden administration, alongside similar initiatives with other tech giants, could mark a significant rebalancing of global semiconductor production capacities back towards American shores. Not only would this enhance national security by reducing reliance on foreign chips, but also potentially restore America's stature as a leader in technological innovation and manufacturing prowess. That was PocketPod News business correspondent Jared Holcomb. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Jonathan. From a family juice company to a global energy drink behemoth, Monster Beverage's journey is nothing short of spectacular. Absolutely, and the figures are staggering. Imagine an investment growing by about 200,000% between February 14, 1994, and today. That makes Monster Beverage the best-performing stock of the past three decades. And it's not just about numbers. The leadership under co-CEOs Rodney Sachs and Hilton Schlossberg, their strategic market positioning, and unique brand-building efforts have all played critical roles in this success story. Right. Focusing on action sports events over traditional advertising methods really helped them connect with their target audience on a deeper level. Plus, the strategic partnership with Coca-Cola in 2015 was a game-changer for both companies. To dive deeper into Monster Beverage's incredible journey and understand what this means for the beverage industry as a whole, PocketPod News business correspondent Leah Haynes joins us today. 
Leah, can you break down how Monster managed to pull off such exponential growth? Absolutely, Jonathan. Monster Beverage's story is quite extraordinary. Um, It starts with the company's consistent growth over 31 years, which is a testament to its strategic positioning in the market and effective leadership. From its humble beginnings in 1935 as a family juice company, Monster transitioned into a global energy drink behemoth, with its stock appreciating about 200,000% from February 14, 1994 to the present day. This leap wasn't just luck, it was driven by several key factors. Actors. Fascinating. Can you delve into the role leadership played in Monster's success? Definitely. Leadership has been crucial. Co-CEOs Rodney Sachs and Hilton Schlossberg took over the company in 1990, which had filed for bankruptcy just two years prior in 1988. Their early bet on the burgeoning energy drink market and their ability to steer Monster through its growth phases were instrumental. Analysts often cite their vision and adaptability as pivotal reasons for Monster's remarkable trajectory. That's insightful. How did Monster go about building such a strong brand? Well, Jonathan, instead of relying on traditional advertising methods, Monster cleverly focused on action sports events like motocross and bullfighting that appealed directly to its target audience, younger blue-collar workers who were already fans of these sports. By launching its eponymously named drink in 2002 and aligning with these events' excitement and energy, Monster built strong brand loyalty that played a key role in its success story. And how did this branding strategy play into their transformation into a global powerhouse? This strategic brand building was essential for their transformation. From trading for pennies to closing at $55.02 per share, last Friday it showcases the impact of aligning market positioning with effective leadership and brand loyalty. The significant milestone came when Coke purchased a 16.7% stake in Monster Beverage in 2015 for over $2 billion, highlighting the fruition of these efforts into tangible success. Speaking of Coca-Cola... Can you explain more about that partnership? Absolutely. This partnership was monumental for both companies, but especially for Monster Beverage as it provided an avenue for global expansion through Coke's extensive distribution network. In turn, Coca-Cola acquired several of Monster's non-energy drink brands like Hansen's Natural Sodas, while integrating energy drinks like NOS and Full Throttle into its portfolio. This strategic move allowed both companies to leverage each other's strengths to expand product offerings globally. To wrap this up, Leah, what would you say is the broader implication of Monster Beverage's success story? Jonathan, Monster Beverage's journey underscores how innovation coupled with astute business decisions can lead to long-term success, even within competitive industries like beverages. It highlights the importance of understanding your target audience deeply and engaging them through strategic marketing channels outside traditional methods, all underpinned by effective leadership that adapts over time. That was Pocket Pod News business correspondent Leah Haynes. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Jonathan. It was great discussing this incredible success story. And that's The Daily Unit for Monday, February 19th, 2024. I'm Jonathan Martin. And I'm Steve Onsker. Thank you for listening, Hayden. We hope you have a good day, and we will see you tomorrow. This podcast was created by Pocket Pod entirely with AI. If you'd like to learn more, head over to pocketpod.app.